0: Hello, welcome to the Lansing Area Church of Christ weekly message podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. This week, Doug Reeves preaches a message called Love Your Neighbor. The thing, oh there we go, the thing I'm most nervous about is using this right here, so give me a second. So Josh and Michelle, they're out of town today, and Joel has fallen ill, and so you have me, but you don't just have me, you actually have me and Charlotte, my youngest daughter, because I've never done a PowerPoint or a Google slide or anything, so today's entire presentation is by Charlotte Reeves, an 11-year-old. She would have done much better than me, and she's super excited, yeah, she's, she's pumped for those lines today, so maybe a little influenced by me, I would say, so... Um, So we're going to take a week off of Thread because it's me up here. Um, Joel had a doozy of a lesson for you, so you can look forward to that at a different date. For me, it's just easier to get up here and talk about um, what I'm learning from God's Word, what I'm trying to grow in, and so that's what I'm going to do today. Um, I think most of you are very much going to relate with what I talk about, and you hopefully benefit from it, and then there'll be a small percentage that you're going to think, Doug's weird. <laughs> and so, um, no, you won't really do that, I promise. Um, because what we're talking about today is loving your neighbor, loving one another, loving your brothers and sisters. So I think you can all relate with that, and probably there's some room for growth in all of us. It seems important. It is the second greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Franco's like, oh my, Doug, because him and I just talked about this recently a little bit. So um, We have some fan favorites in the crowd today. We've already heard about Vivian McDonald right there. Um, John and Jenny Jacobs are over here too. I mean, these are some, these are some Lansing, these are some oldies, but goodies in the Lansing area church. Um, so I actually didn't know John and Jenny was going to be here today, so that's a good surprise. Um, I did know Vivian was going to be here. Um, They're just top-notch humans. I mean, like, right up there. Like, special spot in heaven, for sure, for the McDonald family. Um, They had a tremendous impact on this church when they were here. Tremendous impact on me and Krista in our lives. All of my children should go up to Vivian and hug her and say, thank you that I have such wonderful parents. Because I think John and Vivian, more than anybody else, really, um, impacted me and Krista's parenting. We learned so, so much from them. And um, John taught me a lot about loving people. He was very, very good at that. Uh, before they left to go to Fort Collins, Colorado, um, they actually took us out to dinner at Eastwood Town Center. I don't know if Vivian remembers this. Do you remember this? No, she doesn't. <laughs> um, they left us, they took us to dinner and they left us with a charge, like an inspirational Ah, oh, you know, this is our vision for you because they cared so much about the Lansing Church and they wanted it to do well. And so they built me and Krista up to, to try to carry on their legacy. I mean, what an awesome thing to do, right? I mean, like I said, top notch humans here. Um, afterwards, the um, couples, we, we separated, husbands and wives, and we walked around Eastwood. And John actually gave my, my own little special charge. And that charge was Doug, love people. That was like the last big push John McDonald gave me. And the truth is, I've always loved people tremendously, actually. When I first became a Christian, I was absolutely flabbergasted. I learned that I didn't have a right relationship with God, and that I was actually doomed to hell. That's what I learned. And I was like, whoa. And I didn't really believe that before that. But when I learned it, I believed it to be true of all my, not all, but the vast majority of the people closest to me in my life, family and friends. And so I went on an evangelistic rampage to my closest friends, to my sisters, to my parents. And I was like, hey, this, this isn't good. Like, we can't just do whatever we want to do in life. Like, there's God and he wants us to, like, worship him and do what he said. I did that because I loved them. And it was a little bit of zeal without knowledge, but I did it because I loved them. And, you know, I'm happy to say that over the course of the time, most of them did become Christians. When I became a Christian, it changed everything for me. I mean, literally, I am not exaggerating when I say every single good thing in my life builds upon or bears fruit from the time that I decided to make Jesus Lord of my life. And therefore, that's still my belief today. So anybody that I meet or that I care about, that's my belief for them. That's what I believe they need, and that's what I want for them. Because, that's, because I love them. It's still my desire. You know, over the course of time, my evangelism probably has slowed down a little bit, but my desire for people to know Jesus is still very high. But over the course of my Christianity, I've experienced something. People have issues. I mean, they're kind of a problem. Um, I'm one of those problems. I get it. I have issues. You guys know my issues, but we have issues. And all of those issues have annoyed me. It has frustrated me. It has disappointed me. It's left me confused and perplexed sometimes, and it has hurt me. Oftentimes, all those issues have made me want to, like, withdraw away from people. And I'm not just talking about my church family because all people have issues. It's, It's all people. But I think, like, the church family or your immediate family or those closest to you, like, the emotion that it invokes when there's disappointment or hurt or anything, it's a stronger emotion for, I think, obvious reasons, you know? People have issues. There's these two scriptures in the Bible... That There, it worked. It, that was the fade that Charlotte did. She, she asked me if I wanted the fade, and I did. There's these two scriptures in the Bible that, over the course of my Christianity, I have stumbled with, and I've struggled with, and oftentimes I have not related with. And One is right here, Psalm 16, 2 and 3. It says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart for you. Amen. I just said that. I believe that wholeheartedly. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Mm. Not always my experience or my feeling, unfortunately. Um, this is King David saying it, and that's how he was feeling. And if you know the life of King David, he had his son was trying to kill him, and like his mentor was trying to. I mean, but he this he was able to say this. The second scripture is Acts chapter two. We know this scripture really well. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And that just sounds picture perfect and awesome and and just harmonious and wonderful, but again, being real honest, I haven't always sometimes but not always just felt so into that kind of feel. I've wrestled with the whole extrovert-introvert kind of thing, that theory of extrovert and introvert, and I I believe there's a lot to it. I I actually think I'm more of an introvert. But the problem with it is, is when I look in the Bible, I don't see those words at all. And I don't think that's an excuse at all for not loving people and withdrawing away from them. Actually, what I see in the Bible is this scripture that Actually, Franco shared with me recently, and I, I say recently because this is still something I'm working on. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, brotherly love, love one another earnestly from the heart. In the NIV, instead of earnestly, it says sincerely, sincere, brotherly love, even for the introverts, to all the people and all the issues. Now I'm wondering if any of you can relate. I wonder if I'm the only one that struggles with it. I'm sure I'm not. I'm sure at some point, at different times we all struggle to love our neighbor. How can we feel frustrated with people, hurt, annoyed or disappointed by people and love them? And I've learned that I can't do that because I'm not love. You know, Katie cited 1st John the first John scripture this morning, and it says that God is love. Doug is not love. You, our guys, are not love. There's many people here that may be loving, but you're not love. And I think that's so important to remember because sometimes what we do for people, though we think it might be loving, it might not actually be loving because what might feel right might not be right. God gets to define what love is. At best, what I can do is take the love that I have seen and be a reflection to other people because that's what's true. It comes from God. So if I'm going to love, I'm going to have to ask God. I'm going to have to plead with God to make me like him. And I'm going to have to learn how to love from the master. And so the rest of the time I have up here today, that's exactly what I want to do. Three points on how to love from Jesus. Point one is eyes of compassion. So I, t- I wanted lion eyes, is kind of what I suggested, but th- she went with this. She's 11, or she's 12, I don't know, she's something like that. <laughs> is she 11 or 12? I don't know. Um, turn your Bibles to Luke 19. Eyes of compassion. I'm not actually going to read all of 37 through 44, because... I don't need to. Um, you see over the heading right here is we have what's called the triumphal entry. So Jesus is coming, out of, coming down the Mount of Olives, and they're, they're throwing things in the ground, and they're, they're worshiping him, and they're, and the Pharisees are saying, quiet your disciples, and he's saying, the stones will cry out, cry out if, they, if I quieted them. And then I'm actually going to pick up in verse 41 right here. So triumphal, triumphal entry, Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives, going toward Jerusalem. 41 says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would you that even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come to you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, and surround you, and hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. These people have issues. They have not recognized the coming of the Lord. Their view of what a king and a savior is, is just wrong. And they haven't been able to figure it out. They are set in their ways. They are stubborn. Their worldview, their religious view, is just wrong. Jesus could look at them and he could be frustrated. He could have disgust. He could be disappointed. But when he looks at them, he weeps. He weeps. Jesus was an emotional person. On more than one occasion in the scriptures, it tells us that Jesus wept. When he sees what's going to happen, the emotional response that it invokes is compassion, compassion. Their sin and their ignorance is going to bring about destruction on their lives. And that's what the scripture says. It says the destruction. And he knows it, and it saddens him. I have seen in the lives of brothers and sisters, and I still do see the lives and brothers of sisters, conduct that they do that I know will bring heartache upon them and into their lives. I see that. When we see issues in people's lives, what's the emotion that it invokes in you? If it's anger or disgust or disappointment or frustration, of course we want to withdraw. Of course it's, that's not life-giving. No wonder I can't relate with the Psalm 16 and Acts chapter 2. All of those emotions I mentioned, those are negative emotions and they, they steal from us. To love people is to look at the issues in their lives with eyes of compassion point 2 is to speak the truth in love which is Ephesians 4:15 in immediately following Luke 19 we have Luke 20 and in it Jesus is just talking a lot He's teaching people, he's correcting people, he's rebuking people, he's in arguments, and I don't need to cite one specific example, because any of you who know the life of Jesus or are familiar with the Gospels know that this is what Jesus was constantly doing. He was constantly like, arguing and talking and speaking truth into people's lives, and not just Pharisees and Sadducees, he's, you know, he's telling all his disciples and his best friends, he's same thing with his own mother, woman at the well, Everybody. I mean, really, if you look at it, the thing that got Jesus in trouble and killed was mostly his mouth, right? He did some things physically, like turned over some tables and healed some people on the Sabbath, but it was mostly his mouth that got him in trouble. And I know and I've heard people say that, you know, to love this person, I'm going to be a listening ear. Amen to that. That is part of love. And I think oftentimes it's the easier part of love. But if you take an honest look at Jesus's life, he is constantly speaking truth into people's life. He is speaking the truth into their lives. How hard that is. How exhausting it must have been. Talking to people about their sins and their issues is hard stuff. It's so, so much easier. Just talk about the lions, right? A brother comes in and I haven't seen him for five weeks and he just doesn't quite look on, right? And I'm, hey, brother. I think Jared Goff's going to play today, right? That's so much easier than, brother. What's, is everything all right? What's going on? Mm, it just got it just got heavy, right? You may have just committed yourself to something, right? It might be some follow up conversations. That's going to be a lot harder of a conversation. Why is it hard? It's hard because oftentimes when you do this, you're going to be met with pride, defense. And the people might not actually change. You know, as a matter of fact, in Jesus' case, they ended up killing him. The word says, speak the truth in love, and that's what Jesus did. My experience, and perhaps the chance will happen with you, is that you will try to speak the truth in love, and you will not do that perfectly because we are not perfect. And so then things will even get worse. Yep, you'll actually create more issues. But we still have to do it. It caused more issues for Jesus as well. If you know a brother, and you know him at church, but maybe you see him at your kid's sporting events, or you hear about him, and you know, he's just kind of got a potty mouth, right? Filthy language. He's just not the same kind of person outside of church as he is inside of church. And you know this to be true. And you don't say something, you're not loving him. You're a coward. You have to say something. If you love them, Jesus would have done that. Speak the truth in love. Is there a side of that that we might struggle with more? Speak the truth. Do we not speak the truth because we're afraid of the response we're going to get? Because it might entail a pretty weighty, heavy conversation afterwards? It likely will. Do we not speak the truth because we're afraid that it's going to put kind of a wrench in that relationship and things are going to be funny from now on and awkward? And you know what? It might. But you know what might happen? They might respond and they might repent and they might grow and it might actually deepen that relationship to levels you could have never even imagined because that's God's will. Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all times and consistently talks about the lions, but a brother is born for adversity. The other side of the command, speak the truth in love. Do you speak the truth, but it doesn't come from a place of love? The Bible teaches that before we correct our brother or sister, we must take the speck out of our own eye. I don't think that this implies perfection. Because if it did, none of us would ever be speaking. I think this certainly covers hypocrisy. Don't correct your brother. Don't talk about drunkenness if you struggle with drunkenness. But what I think it mostly means is it's speaking to our heart in your motives. What are your motives? Are you telling the truth? Are you speaking the truth because you care about this person deeply and want what's best for them? Because that's the only good motive. That's why you would do it. Or are there selfish motives behind it? Is there some malice in there? I think about this to be especially sometimes true with parenting, right? Do I correct my daughter? Am I going to correct my daughter for some harsh language? Because I really care about her. and want her to grow like, like, to be like Jesus. Or when she does it, does it bring me some embarrassment and I don't like that? I need to check my heart and my motives in order to really love her. I've actually, my two oldest daughters are disciples now, and I can speak to them on a higher level than I used to be able to do. I can actually tell them and correct them and tell them that I'm not sure my motives are right. And I think they both have the maturity. There's things I correct them on and say, I, this is what I think, but I'm being honest. Everything's not right here. So do what you would with it. And, and, I, and I trust them, and I think they have the maturity to be able to handle that. Not the 11- to 12-year-old yet if we are to love our neighbor we are going to work on both ends of this command but a quick tangent i've been talking to you i implore you speak the truth in love right but a tangent to all of us recipients of that because hey recipients myself included we're the problem we're the ones who make that hard because we're prideful And so I think we need to do a bit of a humility check, okay? Are you the person, are you the kind of person that seems approachable? Are you the kind of person that's open for correction? So a little humility check. Because if you're the person that's kind of open for correction, the chances are you're also the kind of person who is constantly seeking advice. Because a person, the Bible tells us to seek advice, but a person who's seeking advice has immediately put out there that they're the kind of person who wants to grow. They're communicating to you, I don't know everything, but I want to grow to be like Jesus. Please tell me. They're easier to talk to. They're easier to approach. Are you? Do you get advice? I mean, like, weekly, are you asking brothers and sisters advice about your marriage, about your parenting, about your finances, about your career? I got mad. I shouldn't have, but I got mad at a brother one time because he bought a dog and didn't get advice, right? Was it you, Clay? may have been. so, Right? Just because, you know, dogs are kind of an interruption to your life. So I'm not saying I was right, but I'm just saying you could have gotten advice. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was my bad on that one. Sorry if it was you. It could have been you, DJ. But anyway. Um, and I'm not talking about, like, sitting down with your financial advisor. You know, that's a smart thing to do. Are you seeking ad- godly advice from godly people on a consistent basis? Humility check too. If you are a person open to correction, then the chances are you're being corrected by your brothers and sisters, right? That would probably be happening. Are you? I'm not saying being criticized, there's a huge difference, but corrected. We live in a critical world. Chances are, in some way, we all feel criticized by somebody somehow. But are there brothers and sisters that you trust who are speaking truth into your life consistently? And if there isn't, ask yourself why. Being super honest here, I think we all know people that we don't speak the truth to, that we don't challenge, because we have some type of belief or experience that it will not be received well. I bet you have people like that. Hey, I bet you there's people in our audience or online that are those people that are prideful, that don't hear it. There's the chance, good chance they're out there. I hope I'm not one of them. But there's a chance that you, listener, are one of those people. What a dangerous place to be. It really is so dangerous because there is truth and there is heartache in your life that could likely be preventable if people could approach you. There is opportunity and growth potential for you if you were humble and people could tell you are you open and approachable to correction? Are you humble? One time, back to the McDonald's again. John McDonald did something wrong. He did. He totally did. He did. It was just once, probably. But he did something wrong, and I caught him. I was there for it. It made me kind of mad. And I spoke the truth. I, I kind of loved um, I was a little mad, but in reflection, I don't know it was perfect, you know, speaking the truth in love, but I told him about it because he did something wrong. John. <laughs> Vivian, you're wondering what it, You can ask me afterwards. I'll tell on him. I will. promise. You know what John did? He wept. He cried. He didn't defend himself. He didn't get weird around me. He didn't ignore me. Our relationship didn't get worse. Our relationship got a lot better. He repented and he grew. He wept. Do you think that I felt heard by the man? I sure did. Do you think I felt comfortable being able to share with him? I sure did. Because of his humility and his brokenness over his sin, not only did he grow... I grew so much, too, because I was left asking myself, would I, would I have responded that way? Would I have been that humble? I was left asking myself, did I really speak the truth in love? I grew in both of those areas because of his humility. I think that to be a worthy tangent. But point three is how to love from Jesus is it's not about you. Hold on, give me one sec, I lost my spot. You know, I encourage everybody to just at some point slowly read through the narrative of the crucifixion of Jesus from any one of the Gospels, all of the Gospels, and see what sticks out to you about what Jesus is thinking about during that time. And I think it'll be really obvious what he's thinking about he is thinking about everybody except himself. To the daughters of Jerusalem who are weeping, he says, daughters, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. To his mother, he's he's thinking of a mother, and he said, woman, you're with him. He's setting up her to be taken care of after he's gone with his buddy, John. To the criminal next to him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. To his buddy, Peter, he's looking at him in the eyes, when Peter betrayed him, but not in a like condemning, told you so kind of way, in a kind of way that in a few days it's going to lead his buddy back to repentance. In Luke 22, 23, 33, let's see what he's doing. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, For they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Father, forgive them. At the very heart of Jesus is that he wants the very best for people. And he knows what that is. It's forgiveness. It's to have the right relationship with his father. And in order for people to have that right relationship with the Father, Jesus is going to have to be mocked, abused, and crucified. But for Jesus, it's worth it. Because it wasn't about him. It was about them. It's about us. To him, it was about us. For us to really love people, we have to learn that it's not about us. It's not about our rights or our feelings, or our opinions. I ask you, are people more important than your rights? That's a tough one because we live in a country that's so adamant about our rights. And I love the country I live in. But are people more important than your rights? Are people more important than your opinions? You know, do you see things differently on some topics? And, you know, that's okay. It might not be okay. But it might be okay as well. But are those opinions preventing you from loving people? Can you take the opinions and put them on the cross and nail them there? Are people more important than your feelings? Are you willing to be hurt? In John 21, Jesus tells Peter the kind of death that Peter is going to go through to glorify God. Legend has it, he was crucified, like Jesus, upside down on the cross. Author of life, decided for the book of Peter, that's what's happening for you, Peter. Upside down crucifixion so that I'm glorified. Would you do that? What if that was in his, your, the writing? The will for you was that. Would you do it? Hopefully it's some, not that. It was for Jesus. It was for Peter. Hopefully that's not for any of us. But if it was it to be, would you be hurt by your brothers and sisters? Would you be hurt in the church? Would you be hurt by your best friends if that brought glory to God? If you had to go through pain in order to learn love so then you could demonstrate on love to those people that hurt you, would you be willing? What if that was in the writing for you? It's hard, but would you be willing to be hurt to love people? When you decided that you'd become, you were going to be a disciple of Jesus, the answer to that question was yes, because you decided to follow a Lord who went to a cross and died for people. Jesus' very best friend betrayed him at a very bad time, and he kept loving him. I've learned for me, I've got to get out of my head. I've got to let go of those internal conversations I have where I convince myself that I've been slighted or my time's been wasted. I've learned I just have to give people the benefit of the doubt because you know what the chances are? I didn't understand or interpret that situation correctly or misheard it, and there's nothing to be hurt by. But even if there was, maybe that's God's will. I've got to see that there's something so much bigger going on, and it's not my feelings or my rights or my ego. God is to be glorified, and it's so much bigger. It can't be about me. As I conclude, I want to tell you that I am growing in all these areas, but I very often fall short. Probably like today while preaching, I've done that. I really only credit myself with one thing, and that is that I haven't given up. I keep praying that God's going to change my eyes to be like his when he entered Jerusalem and he wept. I keep working up that courage that it takes to have the hard talks, even though there's pain from the past, and then putting in the prayer and the work to purify my own heart before I do it. I keep working to die daily to myself and my rights, my feelings, and my opinions. And I keep working to quiet that internal voice within me that most of the time is just trying to lead me astray and to replace it with the voice of God. I hope that you found it helpful in loving your neighbor. (laughs) Um, For me and Charlotte, brothers and sisters, we love you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God.